Yes. Happy Friday, everyone, on this 30th day of April 2021. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the IX USA podcast. This Friday's episode is going to be nice, short, and sweet. As we know, you have lots of other podcasts, YouTube videos, things you want to watch or listen to. What we'll be talking about is some breaking news. Aaron Ten Hag signing his contract extension until 2023. We're going to do a recap of that IX1 Roma 2 and some other UCL and Europa League just wrap-ups and commentary. And I wanted to give all the listeners a different perspective. I want to go into the Super League and the perspective of someone who has been raised in the USA and who understands their sporting leagues and how it's not a relegation promotion system, but it's more franchise. So I just wanted to give you all my perspective on that and what it's like uh, watching sports like that versus watching uh, European soccer, football. So before we get started, just want to say thank you to all our listeners all across the globe. We have listeners tuning in from Netherlands, USA, the UK, France, Belgium, all the way in India, Honduras, Chile, Mexico, Japan. Just want to say thank you to everybody, all the listeners, for tuning in uh, while we start this IXUSA podcast journey. So thank you. And to get started, if you have not heard the news, Aaron Ten Hag has signed his extension for um, to continue as IX manager until 2023. Uh, his sum of games has been 105 games. He has a win percentage of 78.1, 82 wins, 10 draws, 13 defeats. Uh, this was something that, to be honest, I was a little afraid about because usually when a vacant manager position comes in, especially after Ten Hag led IX to that uh, UCL semifinal, his name was thrown in a few hats as being a candidate for uh, some top managerial positions. And when you have a manager who's – you know, out of 105 games, he's led you to 82 wins. You don't want him to leave. I love his style of play, that high press, that attacking play. Uh, but mostly, and it's kind of built in IX's DNA, his, he has that great uh, working relationship with young players. Uh, that's something that I think is crucial to IX, crucial to our foundations. And you didn't want to see a, a, a manager like that leave. Not to say that I wouldn't have faith in IX choosing the next manager, things like that. I just, uh, I'm a big fan of Ted Hogg. I'd like him to stay. And I'm, I was very pleased to hear that he has signed uh, another extension where he will go after 2023, who will know, of, uh, of course, my goals that he will say, but uh, the appeal of big clubs is always there, uh, especially if you feel like you have proven yourself uh, either in the Dutch league or European, uh, European competition, or you feel that you have done all you can and you have achieved what you can. Uh, so you always understand that no managers you know, will forever stay. We would all love to have something like Fergie or, some, or somebody like that. But we understand that uh, that these, these more, more uh, financially driven clubs, you can say, have that pool. Uh, it was interesting to hear, however, from Fabrizio Romano that he was that leading candidate. You know, Usually when it comes from him, he is – the go-to source you, uh, you usually don't question when it comes from Fabrizio Romano. But one of the interesting things was that uh, it was reported Tottenham had met with Eric Ten Hag. And I 
think the details haven't been released as far as how long that discussion was, what the meeting was like, was it more formal, informal? However, it was Tottenham's decision to move on to other candidates, which kind of surprises you. Uh, and I just want to draw a quick comparison to Jose Mourinho and Ten Hag. So when Mauricio Pochettino left Tottenham and Jose Mourinho was brought in, there was people pretty much split into two camps. You loved the decision or you hated the decision uh, for Tottenham fans. So when you draw those comparisons between Ten Hag and and Mourinho, not not to say uh, not to draw the comparisons on trophies, things like that, because we all know Mourinho's history, you know, Champions League titles, things like that. Uh, just what you're bringing in, the culture that you'll be bringing into the club. So when Daniel Levy signed Mourinho, a lot of criticism was, "Hey, this could bring some instability to your club." You know his track record. His he's he has that third season self-destruct. What are you going to do? How are you going to make sure that that doesn't happen at your club? How are you going to bring in stability? And Daniel Levy was pretty confident that that wouldn't be an issue. He felt that Jose Mourinho coming in would bring trophies. Um, hard to say that when you fired him a week before playing a, a trophy uh, a final, a match final, but he wasn't worried about that. Mourinho has a uh, history of falling out with players. And Daniel Levy said, I don't think that that would be an issue here as long as we are uh, communicating. We're very transparent with each other. Uh, so that was his decision, knowing the baggage that Jose Mourinho will usually bring to the club. Now, I'm a fan of his. I like him. But uh, you can't shy away from the facts of when he starts a club versus when he leaves. Uh, what position is that club in? What's the morale around that club? So different things like that. And... Drawing that comparison to Ten Hag, and interesting to hear that Tottenham decided to move to other candidates, Ten Hag is almost the opposite version of Mourinho, right? Where good rapport, that style of play is more attacking, uh, high press. So he doesn't have, of course, he hasn't been along, uh, or he hasn't been around as long hasn't been at those major clubs, but you feel a sense of stability with Ten Hag. You don't feel that he is at three and done. You don't feel that he is going, going to leave your club in disarray. So we are interested in, uh, in wondering where Tottenham is going to move forward. Who are they going to hire? Julian Nagelsmann was an, uh, another name thrown in the hat, but news broke earlier this week that he will be uh, signing with Bayern Munich. So Again, that's another another possibility that has been removed. What other names are on the list? We don't know. We've heard a few Premier League managers. We even heard someone say Allegri. But what will what will the future hold? We're not sure. Just glad to hear that Eric Ten Hag is staying at Ajax for another two years. Moving on to our next subject. It was a couple weeks ago, but uh, we haven't had the opportunity to discuss it, that IX1, Roma 2. I uh, don't want to bring it up because I know for a lot of us it was hard to watch, especially after that that Robbie goal and we all had hope. And then that VAR goal was ruled out and things just uh, unfortunately slipped away from us. But if you're watching the match, I think IX had it. For a long time, IX had their chances and Roma was there for the taking. 
Roma. All they had to do was get over the line, right? Italian teams are going to defend. That's just the way it is. And uh, Roma went there for business. Ajax went there knowing that they had to pull a few goals out. Uh, it was great to see when Brobby came on at halftime. He gave the team lots of energy. He gave Roma lots of problems. He didn't get as much service uh, in the last, let's say, 15, 20 minutes. But you knew when he came on, the game felt a little different. I would have liked to see him start, considering you know how he looked and uh, how he's looked in a few games this season. But you understand the decision not to start a 19-year-old. Um, but just what he brings to the club, what he brought, I do feel that Ajax played better with that that real like central striker up front. Uh, but unfortunately, it was just uh, not in the cards for Ajax. Although it was important that he scored only with three touches at that point. So he came on, made an instant impact. Uh, it was unfortunate that um, that goal was ruled out due to VAR in the 56th minute. Uh, I've seen a lot of discussion on social media whether it was a foul or it was not a foul. Uh, it, again, was unfortunate because you did see, you did see uh, the team celebrate. You saw the passion in their eyes. You saw the team go from, from ecstatic emotion to that belief that they're going to pull it out to VAR ruling it out and kind of them being dragged back down. And not too long after, uh, and Jekko, right place, right time, uh, just put away that goal at close range. So you just definitely saw a difference, especially when Roma changed their defensive line. Uh, you saw Ajax kind of looked a little bit of a different team, uh, kept them wide, uh, kept them really away from uh, from Roma from Roma's goal, and uh, Roma didn't sit as deep. So there's no space for players like Gravenberch to to play their game. There's no space for uh, for any Ajax players to kind of get more uh, more central, more shots, and more straightforward. So uh, I I would say just good adjustment on Roma's end. Like I said, uh, they went to that game. They knew they just had to get over the line. They knew they had to take care of business. And after that Robbie goal, you, as an Ajax fan, felt that there was opportunity, especially with the entire rest of the second half. But uh, credit to Roma, pulled together. Um, Although, if you watched this last week's uh, Europa League action, they let six goals go. So, I guess you can't say their defending was too great, uh, but it was pretty all right during uh, during Ajax's uh, second leg. So, credit to Roma, but if you're watching the past week, it looks like they will not be making it to, uh, to the final unless they pull a uh, rabbit out of the hat in their second leg against Manchester United. Uh, that game was a lot of fun to watch. If you watch that second, um, that first leg between Manchester United and Roma, uh, it was pretty much the, uh, the Cavani and Fernandez show. Really good seeing a player like Edson Cavani, who has been a uh, talk of the town recently as far as is he going to stay, is he going to go, uh, where is he going after Manchester United, he's not going to extend his contract, now he is, now they're in negotiation. But it's just, uh, if you're... If you're a fan of a player like him, who you've seen him go from, you know, different uh, different teams, PSG for a long time. Before that, he was in Italy. Uh, I was always a fan of his. I love love his work rate, love his emotion, and I like to. I would like to see him prove himself in the Premier League, which I think to this point he has 
uh, when whenever he has played. Uh, Arsenal, uh, Arsenal is gonna be Arsenal, right? What are you gonna do? They they had the opportunity to to go in. This is the biggest game to date that they have to play all year. Um, coming up against Villarreal, who have Unai Emery as their head coach. So uh, you can sense maybe some emotion behind uh, behind some Arsenal players and definitely the fans. The goals that that were put in, you just, as an Arsenal fan, just have to shake your head. Uh, I think they let a goal in within the first five minutes. I uh, just didn't see a lot of creativity, didn't see a lot of passion. I uh, didn't see much from Arsenal. I think they were lucky to get that uh, that one away goal. How's that going to affect them in the second leg? Uh, what's that going to look like back at uh, back when they go to London? We'll see. But looks like as of this point, Villarreal and Manchester United will be in in the final, unless, like I said, Roma pull a rabbit out of the hat or Arsenal actually come together. Arsenal were missing a few key players. Aubameyang come off the bench. Lacazette, unfortunately, was uh, was unavailable for the match. So Mikel Arteta went with that front nine, which was debated. Uh, should he have gone with, gone with the front nine? Obviously, it's easy to say no now because they have lost a game. Uh, but a lot of criticism criticism around him going with that false nine because that's something that they don't do often. Something that that needs to be built kind of within the team and players need to have that understanding of how to play that type of football. And, uh, you know, even he said he got it wrong. So how will he come out with the second, uh, in the second leg, especially considering that he may have Lacazette, Tierney, who is the heartbeat of that team, uh, maybe a healthy Aubameyang. We'll see what happens and they'll be in London. Uh, so we'll see. But everybody, I just wanted to uh, to get to the the juicy part of the podcast, and I want to talk about the the Super League. So, Super League was introduced by um, by a few club owners, a few um, a few criticisms, right? Were were uh, were spoken about the Super League. If you haven't been on social media, if you haven't watched any uh, any commentary, uh, a lot of the clubs involved, of course, the big six clubs in uh, in England were Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Tottenham, and of course, other big clubs like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico, AC, Inter, and Juve. Uh, interesting, PSG said they were invited, but did not choose to participate as well as the the German clubs. But the European Super League was hit with so much criticism. You saw all the fans uh, go out and protest. You saw just the criticism from head coaches, from past players, Rio Ferdinand, Gary Neville. All these players just came out and just said how they couldn't believe uh, what some of these clubs were doing in pitching. And I just wanted to give my perspective as a fan of not just European uh, football, not just European soccer, uh, but national soccer, but of lots of sports, American football, basketball, uh, the MLS, just lots of different sports and different types of leagues and how the leagues are constructed. So if you're unfamiliar, the U.S. sports are, uh, 
are not set up like the European promotion and relegation leagues. Okay, so in, in U.S. sports, you have franchise style, which means you have the same 20, 32, however many teams in your league. Now, European fans, uh, football fans are not used to this. European football fans are used to that promotion, that relegation, which when I first became a fan of European football, that was a very new idea to me. It was very new. I didn't understand it. My thought process, and I was a little bit younger, but why would they do that? It's inconsistent. Uh, your team could drop out. It was just new to me. Now that I've watched football for many years, I love the promotion, the relegation. I also love the franchise that U.S. has to offer. Okay, But for European leagues, I love the promotion relegation because you have – you have that competition year round every year in and out till the very end of the season. You have those stories where Newcastle can be at the peak, the pinnacle of football and they can be relegated within a couple years. You have, you have teams like Manchester city who can be playing in different divisions and then come in and win the premier league year in and year out. So these are just some things that I've noticed and I've been a fan of when watching uh, European football. So when you look at the U.S. system, that franchise system, like I said, you have those same 20, 32 teams. And the con you can say is that those are the same teams year in, year out. Um, that That is a con if you are uh, if you are a fan of that promotion relegation, that – could be a pro if you want to see those same teams. You want to get used to the teams. In the U.S., we have these, these kind of conferences where it's one league, but it could be the Northwest region or the East region, things like that. Uh, in baseball, you have the American League and the National League. So different types of setups, even though they are the same team. You have that playoff system to, to decide the champion that season. You don't have that point system like European soccer. So it's a little bit different. But one thing that I can appreciate about the U.S. setup is that um, is that it is formatted in a way where there's not always one dominant team. You know, you hear about the big six, Real Madrid, Barcelona. You hear about, you know, the top teams in Italy. What? Juve has won the 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 Serie A championship how many years in a row? Bayern has won how many years in a row? Uh, you know, it, the, the Spanish title is always decided between Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico is sometimes knocking on the door. Uh, and the most competition would be, you know, EPL where you have those big six clubs if you even want to throw Arsenal and Tottenham in there. So you could say big four. And you kind of have the idea of, okay, it's going to be one of those teams, you know, especially if you are in Italy or Germany, okay, it's Bayern's going to win it this year. Juve is going to win it this year. Uh, Real Madrid's going to win it this year. Barcelona, things like that. In the U.S., you have that system where no one's relegated, no one's promoted, but the bottom team gets what's called the first draft pick. And the first draft pick is players who – 
are now eligible for professional sports. So they either went to college, university, uh, and in the U.S. we have a system, depends on the sport. For example, if you play basketball, to be eligible for the NBA, you have to play one year of college basketball. Uh, to be eligible for the NFL, which is National Football League, you have to play at least three years of college football, right? Uh, things like that. So it's very different from European football where, you know, players can like Martin Odegaard start at Real Madrid when he's 16, you know, get his um, uh, first team uh, appearance when he was 16, things like that. No, there's, there are certain age regulations, different things like that. And, and our pipeline is really that college system. So players go to college and then they, they leave college and then they enter into a draft system and the lower team the team who finished last usually gets the first pick and the U.S. sees it as that's not a reward. Okay. Cause it kind of sounds, uh, kind of sounds upside down, right? Why are you giving the worst team the best pick, the first choice, right? Throw, uh, everyone knows of LeBron James, right? When LeBron James was drafted, the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers, just happened to be his hometown. We're the worst team the year prior, right? So they had the first pick of LeBron James, and we've all seen the type of player LeBron James can be. So we have a system where the best teams don't get the first pick of the best players. Okay. We also have a system with salary caps. You can't pay your players outrageous amounts of money. And then you have these the you have these kind of teams where you know City, Manchester United are paying all these wages and they, the same, you know, in the same week they can play a Bournemouth who don't have those type of wages. Okay. So we have a salary cap in the U S so that's meant to, meant to give some competition and year after year kind of make it a little even. Okay. So the goal is that, yeah, that team did really poor the year before. So they get the first draft pick. And they have an opportunity to build up their team to be more competitive. And that way it's not always the Lakers winning the championship every year or, you know, one team winning the championship every year. It's supposed to, to build uh, more, more competition, make the leagues more rounded. Okay. Because it might not happen overnight, but it can, a team can go from being one of the worst teams to in a couple years, build up their team, through a draft, through trades, and be competitive and maybe go on to win a championship. So you see the the competition like that. Um, and you see why the U.S. does it like that. And you don't have to agree, but just to understand the way it works. And in European soccer it's not, and football, it's not like that, right? It's uh, There's no draft system. There are academies. There are, uh, there are no salary caps. Teams can go out and you know, pay 220 million for Neymar. They can pay this much for whoever else. There are no salary caps. There are no age limits. So if a, if a, someone is good enough at 15 years old to be playing for Manchester United, they're good enough and they're playing for Manchester United. So there are different things. But what I don't like in U.S. soccer is, uh, or not just U.S. soccer, but U.S. sports is, although th the design is meant to to not reward the worst team, right? But it's meant to say, hey, you had a bad year. 
here's an opportunity to build up your team for next year and the year after that, right? So that the whole league stays competitive. It's meant for that. But what you see is uh, what what's called tanking. Um, and sometimes it's sometimes it's really obvious and sometimes not so much. But what you see in the U.S. professional sports leagues are teams intentionally losing games, uh, teams tanking their season, just pretty much they have, let's say, five games left in the NBA or 10 games left, a couple games left in the NFL. And they're just going to say, you know what, we're going to throw these last games away. We're not even going to try just so that we get that number one spot, just so that we get that number one pick. You see that especially, uh, let's say, in the NBA where, where there can be three really bad teams, okay, and whoever finishes worse gets the first pick, okay? So you have those three teams, and one of them might say, hey, if we win a couple games, we might not get the first pick, and we're, we've had a terrible season already, why don't we just not try the rest of those games? And that's what I don't like about the, the U.S. system is that there is no punishment for tanking your season. Okay, these fans come, they pay to watch your games, to sit in the stands. They pay these tickets, they bring their families out to watch you, and then you tank. Okay, um, that's something I don't like. Another thing I don't like is that playoff system where – if a team makes a playoffs and it's still what's called the regular season, that means the playoffs hasn't started yet. You see players like LeBron James get rested uh, where a team will just bench him because, oh, we're already in the playoffs. We don't want to get him hurt. So we're just going to bench him, not play him. And we're going to use him in the playoffs, which is as a, as a team, as a coach is strategic, but for the fans, they don't want to see that. They want to go to a game. They want to turn on the TV. They want to see LeBron James play. They don't want to see him on the bench. So there are just different reasons for this. There are just different reasons why uh, why the Super League and um, these, these American owners kind of brought it up. Of course, a lot of it is for greed. It's for money. It's that franchise football where these teams will be in the competition year in, year out, no chance of relegation. It's guaranteed football. It's guaranteed that they're going to play. Um, the goal, of course, was that those teams would be uh, would be playing year in, year out uh, with a quarterfinal and final system. So, so you you just you can see what these American owners were trying to do, but of course, it was just very inconsiderate to to the fans. It was very inconsiderate to the history of European football and, and the European owners, a lot of people said it, they don't have the respect and they don't have a heritage and they don't have generations of their family supporting those clubs. This was purely a greed move. Uh, Gary Neville has called for independent regulators to protect things like this from happening because there are some cons in, in the U S style of, you know, franchise where it's bottom team, gets a first pick uh, and you don't have a regular uh, relegation promotion system. So it's the same teams year in year out. So it's a little different. I love what Jamie Carragher said. Uh, he had a really good point. Only reason Liverpool are, are in it uh, 
is the fact that they won six European Cups or 20 league titles. And how he mentioned how the owners only had to do with one of those, right? The uh, John, I believe John Henry, right? The the owners of Liverpool. So they're they're using what the clubs have done in their history to benefit them. And he just pointed out how selfish that was. You know, so someone could go in and buy and buy Juventus and just say, oh, look at what Juventus has done in the past. We we should be in the Super League. And you can tell that owner, hey, you just got here last year. You had nothing to do with, with Juve's history. You've probably only watched maybe one or two games. What what do you know about Juve's history? And how can you look at a fan who who has been a ticket holder, who has traveled to games, who who maybe has a tattoo of the club? How can you tell them that that you have you know the best interest in the club when you're promoting these super leagues, these these locked in tournaments? And it it's for money, but it takes away everything that 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 football pyramid stands for. Um, and if we're really going to talk about super leagues and and history, I, I think what Pep Guardiola said, and I was thinking about it too, and I'm sure a lot of us were. What what about Ajax? Yeah, I love uh, Edwin Van der Sar and how he's such an advocate for the club. You want to talk about history? Four European Cup, you know, Champions League titles for Ajax. How many does Tottenham have? So, so you want to talk about history? Why isn't Ajax? Why aren't you know these other teams like that? And you know what? If you wanted to to start it off and say, hey, this is going to be the first year or two, and after that, there's going to be a promotion relegation system. Um, we don't like the way Champions League is is formatted. Um, these are going to be a set team for two years or a year, and then we'll have a relegation promotion. The top four team, I don't whatever. May, who knows? Okay, but but that franchise style. It's it's. I think they were the U.S. owners were trying to mimic uh, what they see in the U.S. and how successful they see it. But I think they were forgetting the entire system that the U.S. national, uh, the U.S. professional sports operates on. Right, that that pipeline of drafting and the first pick, second pick, and trades and salary caps, different things like that. It's so different in European football and soccer that it's it can't be mirrored because it, they just don't operate the same way. Uh, it's very selfish, very greedy. You had some owners come out and apologize. You had some half-ass apologies. You had, you had some owners say we'd rather, was it Arsenal? I forget who it is, but when the talk of Super League came out, we thought it'd be better to us be in it than not be in it because, you know, we thought about the fans and it, it was, it was, it was very shameful. Uh, because again, these owners have have nothing to do with the club. A lot of them are just they just purchase it. They're just the custodians, like a lot of people have said. And the sad thing is, they do see them as businesses. They don't see them as as sport, as livelihoods for cities and 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 the passion for fans. They don't see it like that. They see it as dollars, dollars and cents. Uh, that's all. That's all. A lot of these owners see it as, and. And I think a lot of that is clear by, you know, even the presence and the communication with a lot of these owners, how you fans can go months without even hearing from them or, you know, anything like that. So was I a fan? No. Uh, was I a fan of the European Super League? No. Uh, am I am I a fan of the U.S. system? In some cases, yes. 
like I said, because it it is designed so that teams don't always have to stay at the bottom, how they have that opportunity to build up. But again, one of the downsides is that the teams at one point of the year will say, hey, our year's already bad. Let's just throw it out and let's tank. Let's go for that first draft pick. Let's intentionally lose. So again, drawbacks. As a as someone who's raised in the U.S., it's different seeing the same, let's give the NFL, for example, the same 32 teams uh, year in, year out. It's always the same 32 teams. And uh, sometimes a team may move cities, but you know it's not like promotion and relegation. Uh, sometimes a team may change names, but it's still the same team, same, same coaches, same players. Uh, it's, it's very different than that promotion relegation. So for me, I grew up with that and that was normal. That's fine. And, and I've become accustomed to that. Uh, to me, I, I like it. Uh, but I also love the European relegation, promotion, things like that. Uh, so uh, I, I see the beauty in both. I like both. I do not think that the, the promotion and relegation could work, let's say, with NBA or NFL. But I also don't think the franchise system like NBA, NFL could work in La Liga or, you know, would work in EPL. So that's just my take uh, as someone who is a fan of both, someone who uh, was raised in the U.S. and watching U.S. franchise leagues, professional leagues, and then started watching European leagues. So uh, hope you enjoyed my take. Hope it was a little a uh, little interesting. Hope you learned something as far as how the U.S. system kind of operates and how how it's a lot different than European football. So, uh, again, I appreciate everyone for listening. Hope you have a great Friday and have a great weekend. Thank you.